Hello everyone, welcome to episode 3 of On Air with Aaron. So today we have some interesting topics to talk about in the world of the gaming industry. The first thing I'm going to bring up is the NBA Jam Arcade. Now, the NBA Jam Arcade cabinet was announced at CES 2020, which stands for Consumer Electronics Show. Now, the thing that makes this cabinet really unique and different is that it offers online multiplayer capability. Now, this is the first for these arcade cabinets and those of their designs because, as you are probably aware, most arcade cabinets stay just in an arcade. They're meant for in-person play. You go to an arcade and you go and you either play by yourself or you play with some friends. And that's kind of the what they've been kind of pandering towards and that's kind of what they've been selling towards but at ces consumer electronics show they like to talk about a lot of these retro style sort of gaming systems and the uh, arcade cabinet being one of them now they announced a couple other things like they have they have certain older gaming systems that they remaster and talk about and still kind of have that niche community that gets their their uh, sort of needs met and it's really it's really interesting because i love the idea of classic gaming consoles like the atari and you have the original like pong game i think it's really interesting and it's really cool to see sort of this like niche community being being met but having this cabinet with online multiplayer capability is is very interesting and that whole retro style is a very popular form of gaming. I know, especially nowadays in some competitive fighting games, they use those, um, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but they're like those, they're basically these big boxes that they put on their lap, and they have the joystick with the buttons that you can press as opposed to playing on a controller. And those are very interesting because they offer that sort of classic muscle memory and the, the nostalgic button press and the Joy-Con moving uh, so you can play your favorite games. They're mostly available, from what I've seen, for fighting games such as Street Fighter, Tekken, and that stuff. But they actually just came out with one for Smash Brothers, so you can play on the Smash Box, they call it, and play the Smash game that you love, but also play the, the very nostalgic style of the arcade series of games. So that's really interesting. This Jam Arcade cabinet is currently for pre-order, at GameStop.com, and I'm pretty sure you can buy it in store as well, for $499.99, which is still pretty pricey, but it's, a, it's about the same as a, as a gaming console, so if that's sort of the category that you need filling, then you should definitely go ahead and check out GameStop.com and potentially pre-order it. Next, we're going to talk about the NVIDIA GeForce Now game streaming service. This idea of game streaming is something that has always fascinated me, but I've never really been into because I know that they've had the they've had things sort of like the what was it called Gamefly. Um, if you guys remember that, like Gamefly was sort of a subscription service where you could pay and rent sort of certain games. Like you'd never officially own them, but you'd be able to rent them out and play for the games as, as much as you would like and return them pretty much whenever you want. I'm sure there was something more specific within there, but anywho, there was sort of this idea of a game streaming where you can 
request a game and they would send it to you through the mail and then the cd form of course and it it reminded me a lot of how netflix used to operate was i don't know if you guys remember but netflix used to operate by you'd go on the website and then say oh hey i want to watch this movie and they would send you the dvd inside this little envelope and it would say what movie it is and you could uh you could keep that for a certain amount of days and then you'd have to ship it back um, but now, of course, Netflix is just streaming, and they don't really do that anymore. But Gamefly was was kind of like that. You also have Google Stadia, which is a very similar thing to the NVIDIA GeForce Now, where you have sort of a controller, and you play on the cloud. You don't own any of the games, and it's just a streaming service. So this offers a very, very interesting way to play your favorite games. Because I know there's been plenty of games that I've played in the past, that I kind of wish that I didn't spend the full $60 most of the time for. Like I wish that I would have just been able to kind of do a trial of the game. And that's sort of one of the benefits of these game streaming services. You're able to just have the service and not necessarily buy the game. Because it definitely sucks. I know right now I'm sort of in a sort of in an interesting position because there's a couple games that I want to get, a couple games that I have bought, and of course they're pretty much all $60 games right now, and it's you know, it's hard for a uh, broke college kid to go and buy all of these games that I want to play, and I also have other games that I'm currently playing right now that are filling up my queue, and there's just, there's just so much to it. So I can definitely see the benefit of these video game streaming sites where you can just play a game and you don't necessarily own it, it's just kind of there. So if you play a game and then you don't play it for three months, but then you go and play it for three months, then it can be really interesting. It could be really, really cool to see uh, see that being big. But at the same time, as I mentioned before, I've never really done the streaming service thing. And while I do see its benefits, it definitely does have some downsides. You know, you don't, you never really physically own a game. So things like pre-order bonuses and uh, exclusive things kind of just get thrown away. You don't really have that anymore. You don't have, uh, you know, the exclusives. I know that their Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is one of the games that's coming out right now, and there's some exclusives going on with that. There's some some pre-order bonuses along with Animal Crossing. There was with Jedi Fallen Order. There, there's like with a lot of games. It's a really big selling point for people to to get the game. But with the streaming service, there's not really any of that around. And not even just the owning the pre-order bonuses and whatnot. <clears throat> there's also the fact that you don't own the game. So you can't buy the game. And then after six years, when you haven't played it for over three years, you know you can't go back and sell it. So essentially, you're paying what uh, NVIDIA GeForce is, is you're paying $4.99 per month. And this isn't like the final product yet. They're still testing some things out, and it's definitely not in its final stage that they want to be in. But right now, it's $5 a month for 12 months. So you're paying $60 a year. So you're basically buying one game price for a full year, which it, it's, it's pretty nice. But, you know, depending on the type of gamer you are, if you play like a thousand other games, then this, this could be cool. I know I found some of my favorite games on the Xbox Game Pass and the free-to-play uh, gold games. But there's still that sense of pride of owning a game and the physical copy, of course, and somewhat even with the uh, the digital copies of games. You know, you can definitely feel that sense of you own it and that's your game and it kind of like personalizes your console. 
But with the streaming service, it might take away a little from that. But of course, that's totally up to whoever the, the type of gamer is. But with this GeForce Now streaming service, uh, they offer two different services. They have the free and the paid, which most services do. The free one allows you one-hour gaming sessions uh, at a time, and it allows you standard access. So you don't really get anything huge. It's just basic access, hour-at-a-time games. So for $4.99 a month, you receive priority access to games, extended session length, RTX on, and a free 90-day introductory period as of now, which was a couple days ago, on the website. So you get all this stuff included, and a free 90-day intro period, that's three months. So you get a free three months to try this out, and then if you don't like it, you can cancel your subscription. Just, of course, make sure you do it before the, the billing starts, or else they'll charge that $4.99. So it's really nice that they have this um, they have this opportunity to try it out a little bit before, but, of course, not everyone's super huge into this, but some of the games that they're that they're using to try to pull people in as the games that they have are Cuphead, uh, Plague Tale Innocence, Wolfenstein, Youngblood, Dead by Daylight, Assassin's Creed, Black Flag, uh, just to name a few. There's a whole lot of other games that are on there, and some really notable ones like Assassin's Creed, Black Flag, and Cuphead, which are two very, very popular games. So this really bodes the question, will streaming be the future of video games? It's already sort of been the future for TV shows and movies, so will this be the future for video games? We'll only have to see in time. Next in the world of video game news is about Intelligent Systems. Intelligent Systems is the company who makes uh, games such as Fire Emblem. So Fire uh, Intelligent Systems is enjoying now a 169-member team. And 31% of that 169 are women, and this whole number is up from 130 members in 2011, which was before the release of Fire Emblem Awakening, which a lot of people consider Awakening to be sort of either the best Fire Emblem game or sort of the shift in sort of the Fire Emblem games because definitely the art style... A lot of it changed in the, the newer Fire Emblem games. Um, I hadn't played any of the older ones, so I can't say whether or not the combat's similar or very different. I, I mean, they're all turn-based, but um, I know some Fire Emblem games, especially Three Houses, have the... Um, oh, what's the mechanic called? Um, in, in Three Houses, it's the Divine Pulse, where you can turn back time and change your choices. Uh, I don't know exactly like what that mechanic's called. I guess you could say like a a redo function you know for a lack of a better term but uh i believe awakening had that as well I, i'm obviously not sure i haven't played the game but a lot of people do kind of note that awakening is like a big change for the fire emblem series where it kind of made it a little bit more mainstream kind of made it a little bit more accessible especially in the west because in japan it's it's a huge game it's very very popular over there in japan but really awakening was what kind of made it hugely popular in the west so one of the reasons also why Intelligent Systems is in the news this week in gaming is because there's a rumor going around, uh, for all of you Fire Emblem fans out there, that uh, as of now, no new info on games have been released. But there are rumors of a Fire Emblem game that's going to be remade. And it was initially going to be remade for the 3DS, but with the Switch's success, they decided to hold that off and then bring it onto the Switch. Now, of course, this is all a big rumor. No one knows 100% for sure. Um, 
but this could be this could be really big because as I had mentioned earlier, I I didn't play any of the original Fire Emblem games. It was never a series that I was that I ever got into. So it's going to be very interesting to see which one they're going to remaster. I know a lot of people love the 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 Radiant series, Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn, the one that star Ike from Super Smash Brothers, and. A lot of people really considered those ones to be the best Fire Emblem games, uh, especially the best original-style Fire Emblem games. So it'd be very interesting to see if they remake uh, either Path of Radiance or Radiant Dawn, because I would definitely love to pick that up, because I, of course, loved Ike in Super Smash Bros., and I've heard that his story, it has the best story out of all the Fire Emblem uh, characters. So I'd definitely love to get my hands on that. So nothing has been confirmed yet, but... Fire Emblem remakes are very common. Uh, Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light was remade into Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon. Uh, Fire Emblem Mystery of the Emblem was remade into New Mystery of the Emblem. Uh, Fire Emblem Gaiden was remade into Echoes, Shadows of Valentia. So it's very possible that these games, uh, a new remake, would, would come soon. Because Echoes, I believe, was somewhere around 2015 or so. I, I could be absolutely wrong. Uh, it was somewhere around there. It wasn't all too long ago, but it wasn't, you know, two years ago or something like that. But it could be very possible. So definitely keep uh, eyes and ears out for that. So also in the world of video game news, we have a game called Temtem, which if you guys have been following uh, any like Pokemon YouTubers or anything like that, that you've most likely heard of this game. So basically what Temtem is, is a very, very similar game to Pokemon, uh, but it is dubbed as a creature-collecting MMO. MMO stands for Massive Multiplayer Online, which Pokemon really isn't. Pokemon is, is an RPG, of course, uh, but it's not MMO. I know in the, the newest game, Pokemon Sword and Shield, there is some online capability. You can do Wi-Fi battles, you can do raid battles, and the wild areas connected to internet, but it's not a massive multiplayer online. You can't actually really see or interact with a lot of the other players. You can in the wild area, but it's not, it's not a huge MMO like other MMO titles are, such as Black Desert. So Temtem was released and announced at such an integral time, I believe. Uh, so the marketing team, very good job on that because a lot of people are very torn on the future of Pokemon. A lot of people weren't satisfied with Pokemon Sword and Shield. They complained a lot about the graphics, the animations, the overall story, which if I'm being honest, uh, not a full game review, of course, that might come some other time. But I was, I enjoyed Pokemon Sword. I just... I was I didn't love it. I, I thought the game was okay at best. It felt very very linear. It felt a little bit too easy. Uh, there just wasn't a whole lot there that I fell in love with that made me think of the other older Pokemon games. And you know, a lot of people were really upset about that. There wasn't really a challenge. It was very linear, and it felt more like a cash grab than an actual passion project. And especially now they came out with the DLC that offers. I think one or two more islands and it's going to be $30. So for a full game, you're paying $90, which a lot of people are really upset about because uh, people are very upset about certain financial aspects in games like microtransactions, pay to win, all that stuff. And people are worried that their beloved Pokemon franchise is falling down that path, which I completely understand. And it, it, it is really sad because 
as I had said, I wasn't in love with Pokemon Sword and Shield, and there's nothing wrong if, if you were. I, I can totally understand it. It's just that, you know, Pokemon fans are looking for that sort of, not always nostalgic feel, but they're looking for that that sense of what they loved about Pokemon, the challenge and the collecting and, and the battling and all that stuff. And Temtem is kind of kind of leveraging off of that. So along with the controversies of Pokemon, uh, Temtem comes out, and it does have a lot of similarities to Pokemon. Uh, it's competitive aspect and some doubles, uh, double fighting, which doubles is the biggest competition aspect in competitive Pokemon play. Uh, in the Pokemon's VGC, the video game championship tournaments, there's always doubles. Doubles is the main focus. You can use different uh, stat boosts on your Pokemon, either one of them, like your opponents, or not your opponents, your teammates, your own Pokemon, and you kind of have to work around the meta to do that. And it's, it's very interesting to watch and to, to play. But Temtem also has this idea of the, the doubles, the doubles fighting. It's very, very doubles oriented. But one of the big things that Temtem is differing from Pokemon in is the idea of RNG, which stands for Random Number Generator. RNG has kind of just been tacked on to anything in a video game that has anything that's not based off of skill. It's partially based on luck. So, you know, pulling something out that has a 1 in 10 chance of being this is basically the RNG. And the best way to analogize is critical hits in Pokemon. Some moves have a higher critical hit chance, but it's still that. It's still a chance. I know certain moves in Pokemon have like very, very high critical hits, but even if they have a 70% critical hit chance, then it's only going to work 70% of the time. It's not always guaranteed, and it's always not going to fail. It's sometimes. And... While a lot of people have differing opinions on that, whether they love RNG or they hate RNG, uh, Temtem removed that completely. It removed the unpredictable aspects of RNG that they say have major impacts on the video game championships and stuff. So they got rid of those, which is which is very, very interesting. Um, because you could, you know, what's, what's, what's the... Uh, Confuse. You could confuse an, an, an opposing Pokemon, and it was all based on RNG on how long they would stay confused. Of course, you could you could use certain berries and certain medicinal bottles and whatnot to get rid of the status effect. But if you just wanted to play it off and didn't want to use those items, then it was completely based on RNG. You know, it would it would of course change the higher level you were than the Pokemon. At least I believe, because if I was always a higher level, then I would brush it off in like one hit, or I would still hit them. But it's still no matter if the chances are higher, it's still RNG. So Temtem got rid of that. So it's very interesting. There there's some more stuff that they're going to be releasing for that game, and it's definitely going to be one to follow, and it'll be be definitely one to to keep an eye out for, especially if you're huge into the creature collecting aspect of Pokemon and the big worlds of Pokemon, and if you're upset with the play out of how the Pokemon company is going right now. Next point that I am going to talk about is a new Star Wars movie in the works. This one might be a little bit of a surprise, just because 
we all thought, at least I thought, and my friends thought, that Star Wars was going to take sort of a hiatus in the movie category and focus mostly on its Disney Plus TV shows. Because after Rise of Skywalker, which came out only two months ago, it definitely seemed that they were going to stop and chill with movies right now and not really announce anything and just kind of relax and do Mandalorian, Clone Wars, and these other shows. But on HollywoodReporter.com, they talked about how a new movie is currently in the works from J.D. Dillard uh, from Slight and Matt Owens from Luke Cage and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So they're going to be working together uh, for this movie. This movie has nothing to do with the Kevin Feige or Ryan Johnson potential series. Uh, Those are two separate things. They're not working together. Uh, I believe the Ryan Johnson series was actually canceled after Last Jedi, but I, I could be wrong on that. But this is going to be its completely separate thing. And I thought that we were going to get more information on it this morning when I checked Twitter because they released something about the, I think it was the High Republic. I believe that's what it was called. It was the High Republic, but that's going to be a book series, I believe. So it's going to be something completely different from a movie. So still still interesting Star Wars information, but this whole movie, nothing has really come out or anything for it. Like People don't know whether it's going to be a theatrical release or a Disney Plus exclusive release. But there's a lot of stuff that people are, are curious about. People want a show about Boba Fett, which a lot of people thought was The Mandalorian. Um, and then people want stories about Kenobi, which is going to be coming out on Disney Plus soon. People want stories on... They want the continuation of the whole uh, Kira and Darth Maul story arc that was established in the Solo movie. People want more information on that. They want information on potentially hundreds of years after Rise of Skywalker, hundreds of years before uh, Phantom Menace in the Old Republic area. There's a lot of stuff that people want to see created as like a TV show or movies in the Star Wars universe, and I completely agree. I'm huge in uh, the the idea of either like an animated movie, an animated show, a live action full length show, because sometimes movies, unless they're in a trilogy form, which I don't think, I don't think fans are ready for another trilogy based Star Wars, anything, any trilogy trilogy based Star Wars content. Uh, released in theaters, I think Disney would really capitalize on making a show like Mandalorian that's around 10 episodes, every episode's about 45 minutes, because that's really digestible. Because you can sit down and watch something in 45 minutes, and then, you know, maybe wait a week, and then watch it again, even if it's all out at the same time. It's just more accessible to people, and I think it would be really good. I think it would sell really, really well, and would probably have a, a good following, because they'd have more time, and they could develop a bigger story, a better world, and they could do things like that. So uh, more word has been yet to be released. So we'll have to follow that closely. Next on the list also is some information in the, the gaming world. And that has to deal with the Xbox Series X. And if you've been watching my past couple episodes, you understand that right now the big console war between Xbox Series X and PS5 is is live right now. And there's a lot of information coming Mostly from the Xbox side, PS5 has been a little reluctant to share anything, which you know is good for a lot of people or worries a lot of people. But anyway, we're going to be talking about the article on the news.xbox.com titled, What You Can Expect from the Next Generation of Gaming. So there's a little picture that's on here. It has a picture of the Xbox Series X and the controller, which the controller, um, I might talk about that in another episode, but the controller looks a little different. It's got... It's got a little bit of a different D-pad. It looks like 
more of the elite controller uh, D-pad. They have another button that's in between the start and back button. It's a little bit lower. They have another button like that. Uh, and the, the thumbsticks look very similar. The buttons look very similar. Same with the triggers and the bumpers. Uh, but there could be something more that they're going to release in there. But this is mostly about the, the processing and all that stuff of the Series X. So the Series X on here, this little picture, has a couple notes. The notes say 12 teraflops, variable rate shading, hardware accelerated direct X ray tracing, quick resume for multiple games, and smart delivery. So they go on later in the article, and they go and they talk about each of these and what they mean by it. So when they talk about teraflops, I don't know exactly what a teraflop is. I'm not too suit, uh, too tech savvy, but they talk about how the Xbox One X is going to leverage 12 teraflops of GPU graphics processing unit. That is twice uh, that of the Xbox One X and more than eight times the original Xbox One. So I have an Xbox One and I play it and the graphics are pretty good. There's still some kind of bad things that I've noticed that are like, eh, the graphics could have definitely been a lot better here. And my brother has a One S and a friend has a One X. And I've seen the differences and the Xbox One X is, is phenomenal. It's comparable to a PS4's graphics. So if this has twice the amount, uh, doing the math, Xbox One X has six teraflops and this one has 12 teraflops. I don't know exactly how that scales in the, the graphics processing world, but if it's anything like I'm imagining, these graphics are going to be insane and hyper, hyper realistic. It's kind of like looking at those huge TVs at Costco that almost hurt your eyes to look at because of how clean and sharp the picture is. Uh, it might be something like that, but even more palatable and very much easier to listen to. Um, so it's definitely going to be something interesting to to see so we're definitely gonna have to pay attention to the graphics of that it'll allow for higher frame rates uh more sophisticated game worlds and an immersive experience unlike anything seen in console gaming so that line right there in console gaming kind of leaves a couple questions like okay is this going to be better than pc gaming is this going to be comparable to pc gaming um we don't know yet but we're going to have to see because this might lead for some interesting info. The next one is variable rate shading, VRS. They state that rather than spending GPU cycles uniformly to every single pixel on the screen, they can prioritize individual effects on specific game characters or important environmental objects. This technique results in more stable frame rates and higher resolution with no impact on the final image quality. So this is a very interesting, uh, this is a very interesting uh, statement here that they came out with. Because I know a couple times in games, the atmosphere is beautiful, the environment is beautiful, but the character that I'm running around with looks kind of, eh, not bad of course by any standards, but it just doesn't look as good as the environment. So it sounds like with this uh, VRS that they're going to be implementing, that it's going to be a lot better. Everything's going to blend a lot more naturally. The shading is going to look a lot more even uh, on the characters' faces and on the 
on the trees and the rest of the environment, it's going to be a lot better. So it's going to prioritize the ones that need to be prioritized. Like if you're playing a racing game, the car that's on the road, they'll prioritize the car and the road, but maybe not the trees on the, on the background. So that'll be very interesting to see because that could, that could offer for a lot more clean experience for gaming. And then they talk about DirectX ray tracing, which is a first for console gaming, they say. This means true-to-life lighting, accurate reflections, and realistic acoustics in time as you explore the game world. So this could be cool for games like Grand Theft Auto V, where sometimes it rains and sometimes it does thunder, and you put on the headphones, and it sounds like video game thunder. It sounds like video game rain, which is understandable because it is a video game. But this might make it sound like actual rain. It might make it sound like actual thunderstorms. Which could be very interesting if the acoustics are a lot better and you get the, the right soundboard or headphones. It could be very interesting. Next, they talk about the immersion in an instant. This one kind of kind of drew my eye because it talked about ultra-low latency to be as immersed and precise as possible in a game. To this end, the team analyzed every step between player and game from controller to console to display, and how we could make it faster. They talk about SSD storage, uh, talking about how nearly every aspect of playing games is improved with the new generation SSD. Game worlds are larger, more dynamic, and load in a flash, and fast travel is just that, fast. This could be very interesting for games like Grand Theft Auto 6, potentially, because a lot of people have rumored that GTA 6, with all the new processing speeds in the next generation, that... It could be the map of the whole United States. It could be a map of every Grand Theft Auto map ever created. Just all put into one map. And I'm a big fan of having that because it would make airports a lot more useful. You can go there, pay money, and then you could actually fly somewhere. And it could be really cool. You get a cool cinematic, and then it doesn't take a whole lot a lot of time to, to, you know, to get there. Which I think would be very cool. I, w- I would really like to see something like that. They also talk about Quick Resume, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's basically like on your phone, you can have a bunch of apps open at the same time, and then you can close them off and then re-go on them and stay with the same page that you were last on, which would be cool for video games because I know on Xbox, like, you can have different apps going, but if you do it with GTA Online or something like that, you exit the app and enter another one, and then you go back, it kicks you out of online or it kicks you out of the game. So this would be very interesting to see. Next, it talks about DLI, which is dynamic latency input, which basically talks about um, input delay, which is something big that a lot of gamers talk about, and they want to reduce input delay as much as they can because the more input delay there is, the less realistic and the less reactive you can be to certain uh, gameplay. Because if something's super, super laggy, then you input a move, and then you're just looking, and then you can't input a move quick enough to react. So this will be very good, because I haven't really noticed any input issues on my Xbox, so if this is going to be even quicker, then this is going to be beneficial, because I mean, it's always good to have really, really good uh, really, really good latency, where you don't, you don't have any input delay. And then they go and talk about uh, HDMI, where it's going to have... Um, lowest latency, so there's less lag between the connection and then uh, the the actual TV. There'll be less lag with that, which would be very good. And then the big one they talk about is 120 frames per second support. This was something during the Project Scarlet announcement that I was a little skeptical about. I was like, 120 frames per second, really? Sounds a little bit that sounds a little bit far fetched. 
But they say that they will be able to support up to 120 frames per second, and the Xbox Series X allows developers to exceed standard 60fps output in favor of heightened realism or fast-paced action. So I feel that games that are racing-heavy, so Forza games, uh, even partially GTA, could definitely benefit from this, where you're driving your car at 200 miles per hour and then... Nothing around you is blurry. It's it's realistic. It, 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 it's clear. That would be something very interesting to see and would definitely lead for a lot more realistic gameplay because I know there's uh, games like Flight, Flight Simulator that are r- crazy realistic. Oh my gosh, those games are hyper-realistic. And those obviously run on PC, so it would be interesting to see something like that make its way onto console. So they talk a lot about sort of how they're gonna put their players at the center of their attention and they're really gonna like understand the players and they're doing this mostly for the players which is very good it's awesome to hear that a company is really 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 taking into account how the players you know the people that buy their product are really feeling about their games because nowadays it definitely feels that there's a lot of disconnect between certain companies and their their player base so it's really nice to see that even hypothetically xbox is talking about how they want to want to really be there for their players and their fans because those are the ones who they want to support the most so they do that by talking about four generations of gaming by saying that you can play any xbox game on this xbox series x which is which is awesome i had a 360 and the games that i had on the 360 i have on the xbox one so there's not really any super nostalgic games that were on the original xbox that i played but for those people who grew up on an original xbox this is awesome to hear so that's going to conclude the topic of new things with xbox so the last thing that i am going to talk about today is the most recent tournament frostbite 2020 this event had two different games that were played um, not game modes, but two different games. It was Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, the one that I watched, and Rivals of Aether, or Ether, however you pronounce it. Both of those, of course, are fighting games. They're both, both pretty prominent nowadays. And Frostbite 2020 in the Smash world was... Oh my gosh, that was, that was a ride. There were over 1,600 participants in this whole tournament which is pretty big evo 2019 had over 3,000 participants but that's the biggest fighting game of the year so it's expected to have that so half that number was at frostbite which which is crazy for the second biggest smash tournament of the year and when you have that you're bound to have a lot of high level skill and high level play and that's exactly what we saw this year at frostbite there was so many upsets for top level players for example a local player uh, prodigy a mario main was able to 3-0 the number one player in the world in top 96 bracket now in case any of you don't know what 3-0 means in smash ultimate the higher the higher up you get into a bracket the more the games change. When you start off in what are known as pools, where they pool together every player and try to weed out the winners and the losers and all that stuff, you play a best of three. 
which means the first player to win two games will advance to the next set. So that's the best of three, and they play that for a couple of the uh, of the preceding matches. But then once you get higher up, you play a best of five, meaning that the first person to win three games takes it. And then they advance. And it just keeps going from there. And grand finals, of course, is end up best of five. So what this means, uh, Prodigy 3-0-ing the number one player in the world, MK Leo, means that the number one player didn't beat Prodigy at all. MK Leo did not take a single game off of Prodigy. He beat him all three times and sent MK Leo into loser's bracket in the top 96 bracket, which is insane it's not insane for a pro player to go into the losers bracket in fact mk leo is notorious for just going into losers bracket some people call it intentional so he can just play more games um but players go into the losers bracket all the time but it was how early these players got knocked into the losers bracket some of the early people who got knocked into the losers bracket were uh, mk leo Glutony, a Wario main, Samsora, a Peach main, Mars, a Zero Suit Samus main, Zach Ray, a Rob, he played Rob the entire tournament, but he plays some other characters, Light, who's a Fox main, and Void, who played Sheik for that whole tournament. And it was insane to see this whole whole run and, and how so many players got knocked out. And some players were in the winner's bracket that were like, who are these people? Or how did they make it in? Because some, some notable players like Nairo were in winner's bracket for a decent amount of time. And then DeBuzz, of course. DeBuzz made it all the way to, I want to say, was it winner's finals? N- no. It was win- winner's semis, I believe. I can't remember exactly. But DeBuzz made it pretty high, and he was in the loser's bracket pretty much the whole time. And for the loser's finals, it was MKLeo versus Tweak. That that matchup was the exact same matchup that was at EVO 2019, the biggest fighting game championship in the world. Losers Finals was that same matchup. It's crazy to think that. It, it is, it's, ins- it's insane to think that. And the person who ended up going through and winning on the winner's side was Meister, a Game & Watch main. And he actually beat DeBuzz, now that I'm remembering. He beat DeBuzz, and then he ended up also beating Tweak to get into um, to get into Grand Finals. So, Meister, a very, very notable Game & Watch main. And he ended up... MKLeo tore his way through Loser's Bracket and made his way all the way up to Grand Finals and 6-0'd. Meister. And how he did that was when you come up from loser's bracket, you have to reset the bracket, meaning you have to win a set. You have to win three games, best of five. You have to be the first to win three games, and then it resets. And then if you want to win, you have to win another three games before they do. So MKLeo won six games in a row. He didn't drop a single game, a single set, anything. He beat Meister, the guy from Winterside, in 6-0. It was it was crazy it was crazy to watch because both of them are friends. Both of them are, are Mexico natives, so they definitely were they had a lot of pride. 
and they they're friends. They they've played a couple times. They've practiced against each other. So MKLeo sort of had the upper hand because during practice, I believe I remember hearing that MKLeo is twenty in six against Meister uh, during their um, during their practice times, which is which is crazy to hear. That's that's sort of something that is unfortunate to hear. Oh, the guy that I'm going to be playing in grand finals has beat me twenty times, and I've only beat him six. So it is a little disheartening, but. Meister, of course, played played amazing. All the games were were, were were fairly close, so it was definitely a very entertaining tournament to watch. I had, I had the whole uh, VG boot camp as the people who are the people who put on the tournament and streamed it, and I was watching their stream all Sunday. And oh my gosh, it was just it was nail biting the entire time. There were so many times I thought MK Leo was gonna lose in losers bracket, which would have been crazy because he's the number one ranked on the PGR which uh, stands for Panda Global Rankings, which is basically like they ra- they rank all the tournaments you went to and how you won, players you beat, and then they rank you amongst that, and MKLeo was number one. And he didn't place terribly. He won most of the major tournaments last year, or he placed second or third. I'm pretty sure, actually, I think second was his worst placing. So he won pretty much everything. So for him almost to go down in loser's bracket, like in top 24 is remarkable and it can't be said a whole lot that it's it's insane but anyway so this tournament brought about a lot of crazy things there's a player named toast who he was a he was he was kind of the local hero he is from ohio he's the number one ohio player and he he's the number one ohio player and this took place in detroit michigan so not, not 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 too far away at all and a lot of people were just rooting for him. Every single time he took off a stock on stream, everyone lost their minds in the crowd. Everyone was screaming and chanting for him, like chanting, toast, toast, toast. And people were really, really hyped to see him. So that definitely, I feel that had a big impact on how he played. And he played phenomenally. He got into top eight, which is which is a feat on its own. And he didn't, he didn't, he lost his first game in top eight because he played against, um, at least from what I remember, I'm going to look up the Frostbite 2020 uh, bracket, actually, right now. Because I know he played Wrath, a Sonic main, at some point. But I can't remember exactly if he played that right in Top 8 Winners or or not. So I'm going to check that right now. So let's see. Toast was in the loser side. That's right. So Toast got the Top 8 from the loser side. So he played against Wrath and lost 3-0. So he got into top eight, which he had never done before. And he was on Twitter. He gained over 3,000 Twitter followers that day alone from placing so well and being such a, such a prominent personality. And that just shows sort of the the competition that was that, that surrounded there with like all these prominent, prominent players that were there. The top eight was... T from Japan, Pac-Man main. Tweak, who plays a lot of characters. He played uh, mostly Pokemon Trainer and Wolf. Um, DeBuzz, who's a Olimar slash Alpha main. Meister, who's Game & Watch. Zack Ray, who played Rob that whole tournament. MKLeo. Wrath, Sonic. Uh, MKLeo's a Joker main, by the way. Uh, Wrath, who's the Sonic main. And Toast, who was a Young Link main. And in the loser's round... MK Leo beat Zach Ray, who's, a, who's the number one player in Japan. The number one player in Japan playing the number one 
player in America, or in the world, playing in losers top eight. That's that's phenomenal. It's cra- it's crazy to think that um, MKLeo uh, beat him three two in that game. Like and props and props to them all having fun during grand finals, but all the games leading up to top eight and to to the finals and whatnot were so much more entertaining to watch because Zach Ray was up two to one against MK Leo. All he needed to do was win one more game, but unfortunately Leo pulled through and was able to take the take the set from Zachary and Zachary was devastated afterwards and it felt really bad but Zachary is a phenomenal player his rob is, is his rob is absolutely insane to watch um and then MK Leo played DeBuzz and beat him 3-0 and then MK Leo went on to play against T the the Pac-Man player and he beat him 3-2 that was also a very very close game um, that could have gone either way. There were a couple setups that T almost had, and it could have been T and Meister in Grand Finals. Uh, he had to play MK Leo had to play Tweak, and he beat him three to two. But T had already played Tweak before uh, in the first set and winner semifinals. He lost three one to Tweak, but he could have he could have adjusted a couple things in his in his game plan. He, he could have taken it from Tweak, and it could have been T and Meister in Grand Finals, which would have been the first time that neither Mars nor MK Leo nor Tweak would have been in Grand Finals in, in, in quite a while. Because at Genesis 7, about like a month ago, uh, it was MK Leo versus Mars, which MK Leo ended up losing 3-0 to Mars. Um, Mars was on fire that tournament. And then of course there were some there were some past tournaments and it just it was very rare. It would have been very rare to see to see someone other than those those top three there you know, taking taking grand finals. Notable names like Sam Sora, uh, Light. Uh, some of those names aren't even it here on the top ten or on the top eight, which is which is crazy to think about. But nonetheless, it was still overall a great great tournament. A lot of fun to watch. But still, definitely something that a lot of top players were uh, were definitely really, I wouldn't say salty about, but they definitely were going on Twitter talking about what the heck even is this tournament, because the loser's bracket was just stacked with players, as the ones that I mentioned earlier were all in loser's bracket, which is, which is beyond crazy. Um, but nonetheless, Frostbite 2020, amazing experience. Congrats to MK Leo for, for pulling through. He's such a great guy, and so is Meister. But th- that Grand Finals was, it was really good. There was no tension, there was no salt. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to, to watch, and I could only imagine it was a lot of fun to, to be there and experience. So with that, I am going to end today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and join me back next week and we'll be talking about some more interesting news in the gaming industry and I will be talking about other things related to gaming or other things related to geek stuff. So stay tuned. Have a great rest of your day.